The payoff pitch on the way. Swung out of this. Strike three. He's done it. Johan Santana has pitched a no-hitter. Put it in the box. In the history box. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to the Mets Baseball Carnival. This is episode five. We uh, took a little brief hiatus here in the offseason, and we are back because there is some big news today. I am joined once again by my co-host, Joe. You can find us on Twitter at MetsBBCarnival. You can find me on Twitter at BrathZ, and we've got Joe Fesco here, who you can find, I believe you actually changed your handle, what are you now, uh, at I did. At Joe underscore M. BBC. Very I good. believe. I, I could. I could be wrong. I don't I know. Just wrong. go to. Just go to our page. You'll find it. <laughs> it's in the bio there. But we uh, we felt the need to call an emergency podcast because big news today. Uh, this is uh, this is going to go down as one of the, the biggest trades in Mets history. I mean, this is being compared to Johan Santana level trade, Mike Piazza level trade. I mean, this is this is big stuff today. So obviously. Frankie Lindor, Carlos Carrasco coming to the Mets. Uh, we dealt away Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario, and two prospects, Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green. Joe, I want to get your initial reaction to this because I know I texted you before and you were pretty shocked. I broke the news to you, I think. Uh, this just kind of came out of nowhere. It sounded like this started brewing early this week between the two teams and it kind of just developed very quickly. I want to get your initial reaction to the trade. Yeah, man, I, I was working today, um, working from home as I've been since uh, March of, of last year. And I get a text from you that says, uh, you say, go to Twitter. I'm thinking like, what is going on? I didn't even send and you a link. I just said, go on. No, you, you said, go, go open Twitter. It's all um, a blur. All a blur. Op- I, yeah. <laughs> Open Twitter and 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 what do I find at the top of my feed? It, it's news about the Mets. Uh, uh, I, th- I think at the time the deal wasn't finalized, but the Mets engaging with Cleveland for Lindor and I mean I it was unbelievable to even just read it. Um, let this, alone a few this minutes started later. off. This started off as just Jimenez and Wolf for Lindor. That's all we knew. I think when I initially texted you, and then it just kind of blew up into those other other pieces shortly after. Yeah, it, it, it developed over the course in, in which um, I guess the news was breaking as, I mean, I guess as players were being added to the deal, but um, it, it, it's finalized with Lindor, Carrasco, and, and Jimenez, Rosario, Wolf, and Green um, in this deal. And I, I sent you a text. I mean, it, it felt very much like finding out the Mets were making a deal for Johan. Um, <laughs> same level of excitement. Um, it, it, this is a, a franchise-defining move. And no better to have it really within the first 70, 75 days of new ownership with Steve Cohen and, and Sandy Alderson at the helm that they make this type of move that really changes and alters the direction of the franchise, the culture of the franchise, and, and really announces to the rest of the league that the Mets are here. We're ready to play ball, so to speak. Yeah, this really reminded me of um, the Santana trade. Um, I'm looking up the date. This was actually in 2008 the Santana trade was made. I remember because 
I was in college at the time, and I was getting texts during my psychology class, and I just completely grabbed my books and left the class because this was this was big news. And that's probably exactly, one of the guys texting you. <laughs> yeah, but this is this felt like that all over again. And it kind of felt like that, like with the players involved. I mean, obviously the Santana deal, I think it was Carlos Gomez and Phil Umber were the two big pieces. Um, and there's a, a really good outfield prospect in Isaiah Green that was included in this deal. So the two prospects are Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green, both their number nine and 10 prospects. Green was a, uh, a second round pick in 2019 and Isaiah Green was a supplemental second round pick in 2020. And, Isaiah Green was a very highly regarded prospect, um, very toolsy prospect. Uh, just, I guess, you just don't know if it's going to pan out. I mean, he's so young. He was drafted out of high school. Um, he's got a, a ton of speed, a ton of potential, great hit tool. But, I mean, you're looking at maybe, what, like three or four years down the road? I mean, when you're presented with the opportunity to get a superstar player like Frankie Lindor, a 27-year-old superstar player, you got you got to make that deal. I mean, we're lucky that we did not have to give up any of our like top five or top six prospects. Um, but Isaiah Green, once I saw that he was in the deal, I was like, ugh, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about this. And then I saw that Carrasco was in the deal as well. I mean, Carrasco gives us a number two, three type starter behind Degrom and Stroman, something that we were desperately in need of. And, I mean, Jimenez and Rosario, I mean, it it stinks to lose Jimenez, especially with his defensive capabilities, but it seems like he was kind of the main piece that the Indians wanted. And, I mean, you just, you got to get this deal done. And you, you got to think that if Sandy, I keep saying Sandy, but obviously Porter is involved as well in this decision process, you got to think if they're getting Lindor that um, this is going to be a long-term thing, and hopefully he can be locked up, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. But overall, what do you think of the package that we give up? Do you think it was too much? Do you think it was just right? What are your thoughts on the package? I think it was just right. I, I think others within baseball think the Mets fleece the Indians, um, who are clearly uh, in – a mode where they're shedding payroll. I think as it stands, they're, they're projected 2021 payroll, something like 35 or 36 million, yeah, um, crazy. which is highly laughable, especially when you figure that, that Lindor was going to be a 20, $21 million arbitration eligible player, um, for this coming season. So they're definitely in a position where they are just, they're looking to, to move payroll and the Mets came calling and, and I think we sent over, uh, a fair, <laughs> I guess it's hard to to say it's a fair value package, but it, it's a package that clearly the Indians felt that they were going to have um, some comparable value in the really the exchange for the value of Lindor from a, a payroll perspective. Um, thankfully, as you mentioned before, they didn't really touch any of our, our top six or seven guys uh, in terms of our, our our rankings. But I feel like there's a little bit of, of poetic symmetry here. It, it's you can't really compare Wolf and or green to Jared Kalanick. But with <laughs> these two guys being some of Brody Van Wagenen's top, top draft picks over the last two years, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of poetic for, for Sandy to kind of part with these guys. Um, just as, just as Brody parted with Kalanick, who is one of, I think it was the last first round pick of, of Sandy before he, before his first tenure. 
Yeah. And one of the first things that I texted out to people was um, once I found out that Green was in the deal, I was like, I like the trade, but I'm nervous that Isaiah Green could become like a Kellenic 2.0 that we give up. And that would really, that would really hurt, but it's a very different situation because you're getting a superstar player in return, not Robbie Cano and not your closer. I mean, you're getting a superstar everyday player. Yeah, every, correct. Everyday player is key here. So it hurts a little bit, but I think it's a move you had to make. And I, I don't think it was a horrible, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the Indians should have done everything in their power to lock up Lindor, your franchise player, your homegrown talent. That's something you just got to lock up. But unfortunately, that's just the state of the game that we're in right now. A lot of these teams can't afford, some of these smaller market teams just can't afford to lock up their guys. That being said, I think they got a decent return. They got Jimenez, who's obviously shown that he can play um, at the big league level. And hopefully... Jimenez, I'm assuming Jimenez will slot into probably second base and Rosario will probably become their shortstop. Maybe just a change of scenery is all Rosario needed. He's still relatively young, so hopefully the change of scenery can help him. We've seen what Cleveland can do with their pitching prospects. So Josh Wolf, I mean, another highly regarded high school pitcher. So maybe he can turn into something and Cleveland has been lacking outfielders for years. So maybe Isaiah Green turns into a, a, a big threat and in the outfield and just a, a top prospect. So overall, I don't think the Indians got shafted, but um, I think they got what they could for a guy who has one year left on their deal. Yeah, and exactly. To your last point, um, it, sh- it shouldn't be lost that, that Lindor is on a one year deal. Um more or less. I mean, he's, he's, he's scheduled to be a free agent after the 2021 season. So as it stands today, um, long-term deal, uh, uh, pending, he is basically a rental player. So when you factor that piece in to this move, um, from a value perspective, it, it aligns really well with what we sent to Cleveland and then what Cleveland sent to us. So, um, we basically got one year of Lindor as it stands and three years of Carrasco. Yep. And I think, I think everybody was kind of saying it was going to be Jimenez or Rosario. I think it was a little surprising that both of them are in the deal. But I mean, honestly, if you're trading Jimenez, like what's the point of hanging on to Rosario at that point? Unless you can convert him to outfield or third base, which who knows how that would go. But I guess it, it makes sense to include both of them. But then that also still leaves us with a good defensive player in, in Luis Guillorme off the bench, um, which kind of may have been that Jimenez role without a um, a surefire spot in the lineup. So I think I think we made out okay. And then obviously we said the Carrasco part of the deal was uh, was a really key piece as well. Um, I think this may kind of signal that they're not going to go after Bauer. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Obviously they still need to maybe add some pitching depth, but – I think Carrasco is the guy that they feel comfortable with in the number two or three slot behind DeGrom and with Stroman. So overall, love the deal. Um, I mean, looking at the possible lineup here, um, obviously this all hinges on the DH and what's going to happen with that. But, I mean, you're looking at possibly Nimmo at the top with McNeil in the second hole and Lindor batting third. With Conforto, Alonzo, Dom, and JD batting seventh, and McCann eighth. I mean, it's it's a loaded 
lineup. And especially if there is the DH, like, oh my goodness, like this, this really could be a force to be reckoned with. But I'm trying to, just trying to take a step back because we, we say this all the time. Oh, this lineup looks so great on paper and then they do shit during the season. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's going to be completely different, uh, 2021 and beyond. Um, I think just from a top-down perspective, it's a complete culture change with this franchise. It's going to be a winning franchise, um, not just based on the play on the field, but the, the the mental aspect as well. So I think this this conversation about uh, that being really good on paper is really, it's going to translate. I don't think we're going to see any real shortcomings. But um, to back it up a little bit, you brought up Guillaume. He was also brought up by Sandy in the press conference. I think that is important to highlight. Um, they think highly of Guillaume, and he had a bit of a breakout year last year in a, in a, yeah. a short span. But um, clearly, someone that they feel can be versatile across the infield. So, look, um, with the DH, without the DH, there's still work to be done. There's still rumors out there that will, more work will be done with this lineup. Um, I'm hopeful for a Springer signing. I don't think Bauer is on the table anymore, um, nor should he. Carrasco, uh, one of the comps on baseball reference was Bauer and we're getting, we're getting Carrasco for 12 years in 2021, 12, um, 12 million in 2021, 12 million in 2022 and a 14 million team option for, uh, 2023. I think at half the value and, and probably a two or three years shorter length of time than what Bauer is, I think, looking for and what he might command in the open market. Um, I think Maybe. this full, I was going to say, maybe he takes a pay cut because he just wants to come to the Mets so bad after what happened to them. <laughs> I don't know if I want him, to be honest. To be honest. I'm with you. Um, I'm I'm just sick of the antics on Twitter with him and his agent. Like, I'm just tired of them going after everybody. Yeah, like, they're, big, they're big bullies, man. It's it's. I don't like it. It's, it's a great I way to describe it. it. That's that's really what it feels like. And I just I, in New York, with this media, I just think it's going to get taken to a whole new level. And... I think Springer really should be the priority over Bauer. And I think, I think he has. And honestly, I think, I think Springer has been the priority probably since day one and, and day ones when the MLB owners approved Steve Cohen as the owner of the Mets. Um, I think Lindor was always a close second. And I, I think that they were talking about this really since day one too, as well. Um, I think they allowed Cleveland to kind of, um, find the market for them and, and what value they can get and, and get back for a Lindor and or a Carrasco. Um, but it looks like the Mets were the ones that provide the most value in, in return. So, um, yeah, again, like this is, it's an exciting time to be a Mets fan. Um, I think there's more excitement to come. I think Steve Cohen this evening tweeted about uh, something like, I think if you guys like today's trade, we got more surprises for you coming down the, down the line. Um so I'm just, it's, it's a really good time to be a Met fan and it's been a, it's been a heck of a three months, uh, under this new regime. Yeah. And like we were saying before with the prospects, like we were able to get Lindor and Carrasco without giving up guys like Ronnie Mauricio, like another, another reason why Jimenez and Rosario is expendable. Uh, Mauricio was our top guy, mm-hmm. able to hold on to him, able to hold on to Brett Beatty, who could be the future third baseman for us, able to hold on to Francisco Alvarez, future Catching stud, hopefully. JT Ginn and Matt Allen, the two high school prospects, pitching prospects. And Pete Crow Armstrong. Yeah. Uh, maybe yep. in, two, in two years or so, 
Uh, he's our center fielder of the future. Yeah. I mean, he, t- he was taken ahead of Green. I mean, if you, yeah. him and him and Green were the back-to-back last year. So, I think it's clear that those guys are not going anywhere. It's kind of like the Padres. Like the Padres had such a deep system. I'm not saying that the Mets system is comparable to theirs, but the Padres were able to deal uh, some of the not the lower end guys, but guys at the back end of the top ten and like the mid teens, and they're able to group those guys together to bring Snell, bring Darvish over. I mean. I don't think we have the uh, the number of guys that they have, quality guys, but still, like we're able to bring in some productive big leaguers with those back end guys. Look, so. it's all it's all relative in terms of where a prospect sits within the team rankings and where they may exist um, with with another team and how another team might value that prospect, right? So it, it's it's all relative to I, I guess you could say the destination and where these prospects end up. Um, mid to low part of the the Padres list is maybe high on our list. I mean, it it depends on on the player development side and and how these guys are are viewed um, inside and outside the organizations. Yeah, definitely. So it's it's great to see them hold on to the top talent at the lower levels. Um, It was discussed today in the press conference about a possible extension for Lindor. Sandy said that they have not had discussions with Lindor or his agent yet. I mean, this all happened very quickly, so I believe that I would think that there's optimism that a deal could get done. I don't think you trade away those pieces if you can't lock this guy up. Um, Obviously, New York is a big market. Um, The bets are are sky high right now with this new ownership group. Um, and just there's a lot of momentum for this team. You would think that Lindor would hopefully commit to this team. Um, I don't know what kind of numbers he's going to demand. Obviously the Mets, we have the capital now to hopefully meet those demands. Um, what are your thoughts on extension? You would have to think that this is on the table and this is something that could happen kind of like Mookie Betts, hopefully before, the regular season actually starts. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I think a long term deal will get done. Um, the Mets have a lot to offer, not just the the talent on the field, the structure, and the the makeup of the front office and our, our ownership. Um, but it's New York City. I mean, there's no greater city on the planet. Um, I was lucky enough to live there for a couple of years. I'm now here in, in the Boston area, but it's New York freaking city, um, especially for a guy like Lindor, who has this incredible charisma, this incredible excitement about not just his play on the field, but just his overall enjoyment, I think, of life. And I think being in New York City just going to bring out more of that in him. And I think he's going to fall in love with with the five boroughs and and just how big of a market and how passionate of a fan base there is in New York City. I mean, not to not to 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 talk down about Cleveland, but it's New York City. I mean, how could you not want to be the type of person and player that Lindor is and not want to be in New York for a long period of time, right? Yeah. Would you rather p- play for the Mets or the, the Cleveland Spiders? I mean, he <laughs> doesn't even know the team name yet. Yeah, I but, guess we can't call them the Indians anymore. Um, Cleveland baseball team. Yeah, Cleveland baseball club. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a soft spot for, for Lindor and both Carrasco and, and him, but – Again, it's New York freaking city. Yeah, this is a huge opportunity for them. Yeah, I think they're going to thrive. 
I think New York is a perfect spot for Lindor. I think he's going to be able to be marketed so much better in New York. I mean, it's what the game needs. They need they need those big time names um, in those. And they big need to, markets. they need to be in New York, and then we need to have these guys in New York. Yeah. And I think the Yankees have a handful of them, and. Um, we over in, in Queens are, are assembling a nice group of young superstars who are yep. extremely marketable, who love the game and who also love to contribute back to the community. Yeah. Um, I, it's just, it's really exciting on and off the field for, for what's to come. Yeah. I can't wait. I saw, I don't remember who it was, but, um, between Lindor and Nimmo, the smiles on on those two guys' faces. I mean, New York is going to be lighting <laughs> up, man. It's it's going to be amazing. Yeah, yep. And I'm just I'm just picturing what this lineup could look like with George Springer. Um, we're going to discuss here. Let's let's just go through some names. Uh, like who else, Who is next? What is next for this team? Obviously, this was a move that was discussed. We we mentioned this in one of our previous episodes, like an off season preview episode, and they got it done. So what's next? I mean, I think the big thing is we need to know. First of all, I don't know how these teams are, can prepare for the season without knowing about the DH. I think it's ridiculous. Like MLB needs to make up their mind and, and figure this out as to what's going on because this really, especially a team like the Mets, like this, this is a game changer if they have it or not. I mean, Dom Smith is a liability out in left field. You really can't throw him out there. You can just to get his, his bat in the lineup, but it's not ideal. He's really, he really needs to be a first base and Alonzo needs to be a DH. That's really what would happen in a perfect world. But hypothetically, let's say we get George Springer. You get Springer at the top of the lineup with Lindor, Springer in center field, Nimmo in left field. What happens if there is no DH? Uh, you're going to be, Dom or Alonzo is going to be benched. Um, more often than not, they're going to have to figure out how they're going to cycle those two guys in and out. It's a good problem to have, but that's also a huge bat that you're not going to be able to get in a game three or four times. Yeah, and look, hey, may- maybe there's a deal out there that involves a, a Brandon Nimmo, and-, and and we move him for for a piece. Um, highly unlikely, very highly yeah, unlikely. That, but Nimmo is a sandy guy. I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, he, he gets on base, right? Um, but. Uh, I think if one, I I think the owners know more than um, I think what can be reported. Again, MLB is made up of the owners. Um, they want the DH. Um, it re, it's really a, a bargaining chip against the players' association for the next collective bargaining agreement. I think it's almost it's going to be a foregone conclusion that there will be the universal DH in 2022. The question today is what happens in 2021. Because it's going to be there in 2022, that's why guys like Dom Smith and Brandon Nimmo, more so Dom Smith, are not expendable mm-hmm. this offseason and in 2021. Because you know that you can utilize him in conjunction with with Alonzo in 2022 and beyond. Um, but again, I just, yeah, I just it, don't see how. So in 2020, you had the DH, obviously the shortened season. Yes. And then you're just going to get rid of it for 2021, but then you're going to go back to it 22 and beyond. Like, why not just? Well, it, it's a, it's it a it's a trading piece. It's a trading piece because MLB is going to want something at the table, and and the players' association will also want something at the table, right? Bunch of crooks, bunch of crooks, man. Hey, I mean, it, it's about creating leverage, and clearly both sides, more so the players, want 
to be able to have an additional uh, high-value player on a roster, which is what the DH allows for in, um, now across the, the entire National League. So they'll give up something in order to have that. And the owners are, will be more than willing to give it to them, but they need something in return. So, and what that's going to be is, it's, I think it's to be determined, but it will be there in 2022. And it may be there in 2021, who knows? But mm-hmm. um, we need it. We need it desperately. And, and uh, something will work itself out for 2021. Yeah. There's some teams where it would really help them out. And I think the Mets fall into that category. So we'll see what happens with that. In terms of Springer, um, what is going on with, is it possible if we do lock up Lindor, obviously that's going to kind of put us close to the luxury tax threshold. Do you think there is enough room to do Springer? Would you have to, we might have to move some things around, maybe backload a Springer deal or even backload a, a Lindor deal, I guess you could do. Um, do you think, uh, reports are kind of mixed on Twitter today if, uh, if the, if this kind of, if this move, uh, brings them out of the running for Springer. Um, curious what you think in terms of the luxury tax and finances, if this is doable for the Mets. Yeah, I still think it's doable. If you look at where the Mets stand today with the deal, um, now finalized, we are about 28 million from the luxury tax threshold. It was something that Sandy touched upon in the presser. Um, he acknowledged that it is, it is a, a, uh, a meaningful line of demarcation as it relates to baseball planning and payroll planning, but it's not a line in which they're not willing to exceed. Um, but from that standpoint, there's, I think there's still enough wiggle, wiggle room to not have to exceed it and still get a guy like Springer, depending on how his market materializes. Um, whether or not we can keep his average annual value below a threshold that allows us to make an additional move or two. Again, we still need um, some depth in the rotation. We need some depth in the bullpen. And I think there's a path to acquiring two to three more players, Springer included, that gets us up to the luxury tax threshold and maybe slightly over. Again, with Steve Cohen and his deep pockets, I think there was a recent report that he made, I believe, uh, his fund, I think, made 17% return this year in a, during a pandemic. And I think he pocketed like $1.6 of that. So it's a guy who knows how to make money in a down market. Or I guess not a down market. The market was kind of on fire <laughs> this year, um, down uh, up from the, the lows in, in, in March and April. But um, it's a guy who clearly can take uh, advantage of, it, of an opportunity. So... Um, he's someone that who can spend above the luxury tax and, and not really blink an eye at it. Yeah, I mean, Sandy was saying, was saying that it, it's not ideal for them to go over that, but I think if of they had not. to, I think they could. I think they will. Springer, the reports today were that Springer is demanding a contract around 175 million for at least five five years. Um. I don't know if he gets that. I don't think he does. That seems a little steep for somebody on the wrong side of 30 here. Um, but he he would just be such a good fit. If it were not to work out with Springer, I think another good fallback option could be somebody like Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah, uh, he came up in reports today. A defensive guy 
which is something that we desperately need up the middle. Um, I think it's a good backup plan if Springer falls through, but I think I think they're very much in hot pursuit of Springer. Um, I mean, you mean to tell me we can't outbid the Blue Jays for George Springer with this new regime that we have in place here? I mean, those are the only two teams reported in the mix. Obviously, there could be a mystery team there, but um, knowing us, it's probably like the Angels or something. The Angels get in every deal every year, it seems. But um, it does seem like we are very much in the mix, which would be great. In terms of some other guys, I mean, another name that was kind of brought up today as a possible pitching piece, um, we desperately need some starting pitching depth. Corey Kluber, he's a guy that's going to be throwing. Um, he's going to be throwing for teams, uh, I think, it's next week or so, and the Mets are expected to be in attendance for that. I mean, Kluber being reunited with Carrasco and Lindor, it just it feels like a great fit. Um, obviously, those guys have a great rapport. Uh, I mean, Kluber is a, a great buy-low type of guy. I mean, coming off of two injuries, one was a freak injury with the line drive back at his arm or leg um, a year or two ago. But, I mean, if he is healthy and he is still has some of the old Corey Kluber in him. I think it would be a great fit. You can't expect too much, but, I mean, like I said, uh, it could be a guy that you sign and maybe trade at the deadline or something for pieces if if we are out of it, or he could help us and get us back into contention. So I think Corey Kluber would be a great fit. Um, maybe a guy like James Paxton, who, coming off of injury as well, um, seems like Paxton is injured every season. And always seems to be like elbow or forearm issues or something. So I'm not sure I love the Paxton idea. It seems like they're pretty out on Jake Odorizzi. They, um, the Japanese guy Sogiyama, uh, actually, they, they were apparently interested in, but he actually, um, decided to go back to Japan for, he signed a four year deal with some opt outs in there. So that's off the table as well. Um, and then the two relievers, Brad Hand and Liam Hendricks, seem to have been, the Mets seem to have interest in both of those guys. I'm not sure both of those guys are going to hold out for closing gigs. There are some teams out there that are in the need for, for closers. Obviously, that's not something that the Mets are super interested in with Diaz and possibly Lugo back there. Out of those guys, is there anybody that you think uh, that we should be targeting? Is there anybody else on your radar that the Mets should be going after in this what's next uh, phase of the offseason here? Yeah, I, th- I think where we are in terms of uh, what we're up against with the luxury tax threshold, a guy like Kluber, like you mentioned, uh, a buy low type of opportunity. He's a Stetson grad. Um, actually, I don't, know, I don't know if he graduated, but he's a Stetson guy. Yeah. Just like, just hey, like man, Jake. yeah. Um, so there might be some some synergy there. Uh, I can see Kluber coming in on a very team friendly deal that will help us. I think keep the door open for some some bigger moves. Uh, a Brad Hand would be great for this bullpen. Um, again, I think th- I think there's still moves on the table. I think dealing a Familia would open up about 10 million in payroll, depending on the the return back. I think he was linked to a potential. I guess whether or not, he wasn't linked, but I think there were some hopes. Um, because we were linked to conversations with the Cubs about Chris Bryant and kind of swapping some money there with a, a, uh, a familia to kind of offset. I think, I think Bryant's due, um, like 18 to 20 million next season. So to kind of, um, to net out a bit 
for Bryant would be something that would be interesting, but a, a Kluber, I think, to be able to throw into that into that rotation um, could be really interesting. Um, Odorizzi would, I think, he's still, I think, he's still on the table again with this with this front office and how they're going to operate. There's still a lot of unknown, but they're going to be a team that's not going to be afraid to spend. Yeah, look, I think there, there's still a lot of guys out there that we can target. I think this front office is going to be really creative um, moving forward, and I think there's going to be some opportunities to move some money off the book to kind of offset some inbound value. So um, there's there's a lot of unknown in the future, but I think it's it, we're going to see some more acquisitions that are going to excite the fan base and really propel us to cementing ourselves as a um, as a, a potential World Series favorite. So. Yep, agreed. There's definitely a lot of pieces out there, and I'm sure Cohen and the new regime of Sandy and Porter, I'm sure they're going to be in on all these guys. Um, can't wait to see what happens here. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the next few weeks are going to be crucial as to what happens. But um, even guy like a guy like DJ LeMahieu, I mean, they may still be in on him. I don't know if it's the best idea. I don't love the idea of J.D. Davis at third base full time. Um, but the idea of LeMahieu is intriguing, but I think I think Springer is more important at this point. Agreed. So great great stuff today um, from this ownership group. Um, I think this was the move that really needed to happen, and we've got that stud player now. And uh, I think hopefully this is just the beginning of um, some pieces that we're gonna that we're going to acquire for 2021. So we'll see what happens. And, and just to kind of touch back on what this is going to do really for a Pete Alonzo, who over mm-hmm. the course of a 60 game season coming off his 53 homer rookie campaign really pressed and yeah. to have an everyday player of Lindor's um, ability, I think it's going to take a lot of pressure off of yep. Pete. I think Pete puts a lot of pressure on himself and coming off that campaign that he had, he felt that he needed to exceed it in some way, shape or form. And we saw him press for 60 games. So I think Lindor is going to really help with that because the spotlight will be still on Pete, but just a little bit dimmer, a little bit dimmer. I think it's going to, I think it's going to be super impactful. Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, with guys like Nimmo getting on base, McNeil getting on base in front of him, along mm-hmm. with with yeah. Lindor, possibly Dom. I mean, yeah. that one through five could be pretty lethal. Uh, good luck to whoever's facing those guys. So we'll see what happens. Springer might be in that mix as well, and I'm sure if there is a Springer signing, we will be doing another emergency podcast because <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, that would just be huge, and that would that would really just put the icing on the cake for what's been a, a pretty good offseason so far. We haven't really been on in a while to discuss. So um, in terms of some of the guys that they have acquired this offseason, Trevor May, a great relief pitch option in the back end of that pen. I mean, he put up some some great numbers last year with the Twins. And, yeah, I mean, he brings another um, – Another arm to the back of that pen. Uh, he could close the door if needed, if if Familio, if Diaz struggle. Um, I mean, the StatCast metrics on Trevor May is just absurd. I mean, he's right up there in the 99th percentile for strikeout percentage and whip percentage. His fastball velocity is right up there. 
Um, his spin rate is up there as well. And this guy has a ridiculous slider. I mean, he mainly just throws two pitches. It's mainly just the four seam and the slider. Um, he's throwing those, throwing the fastball 47% of the time in the slider, about 32% of the time. And then he just mixes in a changeup and a sinker here and there, but primarily just two pitches. And the guys just, they can't touch a slider. Like mm-hmm. it's just yep. nasty, nasty stuff. And it seems like a great pickup. Kind of a sneaky pickup. I mean, everybody's talking about the big name guys like Hendricks and Hand, but Trevor May is just sitting out there, and he's one of the first guys to sign. Yep, and it's savvy move, and it, it, it's interesting because um, when you when you think of Trevor Bauer, it's not only his on the field stuff, but it, it's his off the field antics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone knows that Bauer is a YouTuber. Um, he's an avid social media. Uh, user and so is actually Trevor May. I think Trevor May is more yeah. wholesome than a, a Trevor Bauer, and he isn't what you would consider a bully at all. It's not um, a douche. <laughs> so he's yeah, exactly so. <laughs> Trevor May is a guy who um, I think brings a, a different, a different demeanor to the to the clubhouse and to the bullpen, and I think he's going to be a fun guy to be around. And he's he's I mean he's doing what he can to grow the game off the field. Um, as I say, he's a YouTuber. He's into social media. He's a huge gamer, um, which makes things I think fun for for a younger generation. But um, he's the he's the 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 more wholesome version of uh, of a Trevor Bauer, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it's a great signing. Um, yeah. yep. Curious to see how he does in New York. I mean, we've seen pitchers, especially relievers, come to New York and maybe not perform as well. I mean, I know we were we were super hyped about the Anthony Swarzak signing a few years ago, and that didn't work out. So I'm hoping this turns out a little bit better than yeah. that. But I like that move. And then the other move that we need to discuss is the James McCann move. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. we were thought to be in on JT Real Muto, but obviously that did not happen. We ended up settling on McCann. And uh, I mean, hey, Twitter. don't call it, don't call it a set a settle. I mean, I yeah. think he was someone who was always on the radar as as that option. Um, hey, I mean, they may have liked him better than they liked um, JT, especially for what um, what McCann can do not only for a, a pitching staff and what he does at the plate, but what he does for p- payroll flexibility. Yeah. Um, I think I think it was we extracted more value in that transaction than we would have I think with a, a, a JT a JT signing. Yeah, I mean, he's gotten significantly more playing time in the past few seasons. Um, his last year in Detroit, um, not the prettiest. Uh, it was more once he went to the White Sox, actually. White excuse Sox. me. Yeah. So 2019 with the White Sox, he hit 273, which was pretty solid for him. Uh, it's by far the best he's done in his career. Um, he got a lot more playing time as well, over 475 at-bats. And then last year, obviously, in the shortened season, but he had 289, 360 OBP. Um, I don't think it's the counting stats are, that make this the best signing for us, but what he does behind the plate, what he yeah. does in the clubhouse with his leadership. I mean, people are – there are people on Twitter that are calling out, like, his, his pitch-framing metrics. I mean, yeah. listen – Guys like Lucas Giolito love throwing to this guy. I mean, the numbers that Giolito... he catches Nono? He catches... I think it was his personal catcher. Yeah. And, I mean, Giolito owes a ton of his success to McCann. Yep. 
some of the other pitchers, I think Keuchel and Dylan Cease were vocal about McCann as well. I mean, just in the clubhouse behind the plate, he calls a great game, mm-hmm. provides leadership. Like that's stuff that you're not going to see on the scorecard. I mean, he just, he does things that do matter in this game. And I think the Mets saw that. And that's one of the reasons that they targeted him. I mean, comparing him to Wilson Ramos behind the plate is just absurd. I don't care what any numbers say. Um, We need somebody like that behind the plate that can provide some leadership and carry a pitching staff. We haven't had that in a very long time. And I think it's a great signing for that alone. Like you said, it's going to give us some more payroll flexibility to maybe go out and get Springer and make this Lindor move happen. I mean, if, if we didn't sign McCann and we went with Real Muto, who knows if this Lindor move would have happened, you know? Yep. Yep. So it may not not have, to be honest. Yeah. I think this is, it's a great move. I mean, we've seen improvements at the plate as well for McCann. Hopefully that continues. And yeah, I think McCann and May were two great underappreciated signings. Yeah. They were were savvy, very savvy. And uh, and we'll we'll touch upon the two front office um, additions in, in a few moments, but these were Sandy transactions, Sandy and Co. transactions, and they were savvy. And I, I can easily see these moves being made by the previous regime, but these would be like the final moves of that regime. Yeah, those are the right? moves of the off season. Correct. And now th- these are these are, are complementary, supplementary moves that allow us to make other moves to round out this this roster. And that's that is, I think. The stark difference, independent of, of Cohen's deep pockets, I guess you can't say independent because that plays into their ability to then go get other guys. But this is allowing Sandy, at least for these first two, um, at least for, for May and McCann, this is allowing Sandy to be Sandy and who he was or who he is with no strings attached, no ceiling in terms of what he can do from a, a financial perspective. And we're seeing the fruits of him being able to be who he is. Um, and then they go out and, and get a Jared Porter uh, and hire him as our GM from Arizona. He's part of the Theo Epstein tree of front office executives. Zach Scott, who is also um, from Boston, from under the, the Theo Epstein tree of front office executives. I think two super savvy front office additions. Both were vying for the GM role that ended up going to Porter which I think makes Scott coming over really interesting, right? He lost out on, a, on a, a, an opportunity in the short term for a GM role, but the, this was these two additions are clearly moves that were setting the Mets up for long-term success when Sandy eventually departs his president of uh, the Mets' role, Right. Porter will definitely slide into a president of baseball operations, and then Zach Scott will then slide into that GM role. I mean, I, I think it was super savvy for them to bring these guys in. What yeah. are your thoughts? The fact that they got their number one choice and their number, number two, two choice, choice yeah. is is pretty impressive. You rarely see that happen. Yep. Yep. Um, but both highly analytical guys, like you said, from the Theo Epstein tree, and, yeah, I think they're just two great moves. I mean, we really needed to beef up the analytic department. Uh, it's been lacking the past few years, and I think these two hires are, are huge for us. And that was one of the things that Cohen said. He just he wanted to beef up the analytics department 
And uh, he definitely did that. And like you said, I think Sandy probably, uh, I would say maybe two years max, you're looking at Sandy in that type of role. And then these guys are going to take over. Uh, so it'll be pretty cool to see them uh, move up in the organization. I don't think you see Theo Epstein come over and no. take that role. I think it's no these two guys. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're ready for it. I will say it, it's kind. It was kind of awkward in the press conference today, seeing Sandy and Porter. It's like all the questions were being directed to Sandy, yet Jared Porter seemed like he still was involved in this process. Kind of felt bad for the guy, but um, I think that's I, a product of just the fact that Sandy was a GM. Sandy being uh, the president of of the team with Cohen coming in. He was basically the, the 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 PR face of the front office, so I think it, it was just an easy kind of thing to go right to right to Sandy instead of kind of pivoting most of those questions to to Jared. But I think I think we'll start to see Sandy, and I think he as a as a um, a post mortem of today's presser, we might see less of Sandy moving forward because I think they want to have Jared out in front of baseball operations and and speaking to these moves. So yeah. By the way, I'm watching right now a rerun of the Mets Padres in 2016 when Bartolo hit the home run. And the Padres, I think this is a sign. The Padres just brought in Brad Hand in the seventh <laughs> inning to face, to face the Mets here, to face Curtis Granderson. So maybe it's a sign that Hand's next and not I like it. Hand. I like it. I, I, I'd be okay with Hand, man. Honestly, I think he'd be a great addition to this bullpen. I think it would be. Uh, that's another thing that we need. We, we really could use a lefty. And Steven Matz right now, I, that was another name that we didn't mention before, just yeah. in terms of the rotation. I mean, I think think this the Carrasco move that bumps um, bumps Seth Lugo maybe back to the bullpen, and Steven Matz is probably in the pen once Syndergaard comes back. But I think depth is key, and I think they're going to make some more moves in the yeah. coming weeks here. And I really like what they've done so far, and I think they're just going to keep. Keep it coming. Yeah, there's more to come, and that's that's like some of the most exciting aspects of this team. And there's there's more moves to be made, and they will make them. Yep, it's a fun time here. Um, we apologize to everybody that's listening out there because I know we've kind of been slacking just with everything with the new year and the holiday and yeah. just every, everything going on in the world. It's just it just felt weird kind of talking about baseball. I don't know about you, but me personally, I've just kind of been in a baseball funk. It really hasn't been on yeah. my mind with everything going on. But I have to say, it was awesome getting the Lindor news today and just kind of being glued to my phone and just yeah. working nonstop. Feeling completely rejuvenated, to be honest. I mean, yeah. coming off of uh, the holidays and not, I mean, I'm sure most of America not able to spend them with family um, is is difficult and, and work and life and the whole nine and, and what's going on with election election fatigue and yeah, all that need, all that we jazz we don't need to get um, into that <laughs> no no but but to have today's news with Lindor yeah. just to kind of rejuvenate the fan base and I mean me personally I'm, I'm super excited and so are yeah. you and um yeah I mean cheers to nice, work. yeah it was a nice little boost um yeah. Yeah. after being on Twitter yesterday yeah. seeing all the, the horrible things on there. So it was nice to get this uh, much-needed boost today. I forgot to ask you, did you finish the, the David Wright book? Yeah. No, I <laughs> I, I haven't finished. Um, been slacking. Been slacking, yeah. 
How about I finished you? it. I finished it last week. It was a good read. I didn't know how it was going to end. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I still, I, I still can't believe how his career ended. I, know, I feel was, bad for the guy, but it's taken from us. Highly would recommend it for all Mets fans out there. That's the David Wright captain book from Anthony DiComo. Nope. Um, but yeah, being Joe both got, and I was just curious if you finished it. Uh, apparently not. It's, but. it's on my, it's on my to-do list. I, I've gotten, uh, I gotten some, some new reading over the, uh, the Christmas holiday and it's, uh, it kind of took a little bit of a backseat to something I just got, unfortunately, but. No, um, man. It happens. Yeah. But. I'll, I'll get back to it. I'll, I'll definitely finish it before spring training and. Maybe we can do a little little post app on uh Sounds like post a post on the book. <laughs> but I have to say it was it was good getting back on here with you. Um just remind everybody where where can they follow you and your tweets again? Yeah, so I, I got that wrong before. So I'm at <laughs> <laughs> of course. I haven't tweeted in like weeks, I think. I think it's it's been it's been some time. It happens. It happens. But um uh I I can be found on Twitter at Joe underscore Mets BBC. Okay. At Joe underscore MBC. M- <laughs> let's, let's start over. Start over, uh, Zach. It's at Joe underscore Mets BBC. Mets BBC. Okay. We're good. <laughs> Hopefully everybody got that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Browsy. You can follow the podcast at Mets BB Carnival. Sure you got that right. <laughs> At Mets BB Carnival. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, even though we really don't have any pictures to post, which is just kind of awkward at this point. Maybe we'll post a, uh, maybe we'll post a Frankie Lindor picture <laughs> in, in the new black jerseys. Yeah, that'd be, ooh, the black jerseys, man. That's been a hot topic on, on Twitter. Um, Stevie I Jones would been... love to see the Lindor Carrasco press conference and have them come out wearing the black hat and the black shirt. I think that's the perfect way to bring them back. Yeah, man. That's what I'll be hoping for. But thank you guys for joining us. Hopefully we will speak to you soon for another emergency press conference where we're signing another big name guy. Uh, But thanks again for joining us and we will speak to you soon.